podcast is out. The age of independence is here, where the next generation of high-performing agencies transform the agency landscape. I'm a mom, a businesswoman, and mega startup coach. This podcast is all about you, the agency owner, stepping into the new wave of opportunity, knocking out the competition in the modern market. This is the Age of Independence Podcast. I'm your host, Caitlin Agar. Welcome to the show. Hi, agents, and welcome to the show. This is Caitlin Agar, your host, and thanks for joining me back on the Age of Independence. We are having such a fun summer bringing you guys content about everything, branding, um, contact center, sales coaching, processes, and today is a topic I've really been looking forward to on all about how to brand your agency. And there's so much strategy that goes into the angle you're going to take on how you're going to set your agency apart from the other agencies in the marketplace and how you can um, be really smart about the moves that you're going to make when it comes to who you are, how you're going to differentiate what you do and what that means for your team and your internal branding as well. So we have a special guest and our guest today has been in the insurance world for a long time, very well versed in agency life and the economics of the industry and what this means for our branding strategies. So um, hi, Peter, how are you? Hi, Caitlin. I love insurance. What can I say? I do too. <laughs> I love insurance and I love talking insurance and um, yeah. it's, it feels like a hobby sometimes. So thanks for joining me and tell us where you are joining us from. Well, uh, we're based here in Fairfax, Virginia, which is essentially Washington, D.C., but our firm is pretty virtual. We're around the country, our consultants and associates. Do you do a lot of traveling or has that kind of tailored back lately? Um, it, it, uh, it was a slow year. Normally, it's quite a bit of travel to see clients, but I also like going to conventions like you do, like to see people because, uh, you know, I love insurance, but I love insurance peeps yes. and uh, I love my peeps. So I have to go out and see them. I, I can't sit in the office. That's just not my bag. You know, I like to go see people. So when when we get back to meeting conventions, which I think is starting in the fall of 21 this year. Um, yeah, I can't wait. I can't wait for it. The conventions are starting to trickle back through and I'm so looking forward to it and can't wait to see everyone in person and put a face with the name for people that I've met virtually over the past year. Or so since our, um, since quantum was born in the independent market, there's been so many people to meet and we did so many meetings virtually last year. I think I was doing about 150 Zoom meetings a month. I'm back in the office now most days. And it's been mm -hmm. nice to, uh, you know, get back out there and to be able to interact face-to-face -face yeah. when we can. Yeah, it is. So tell us about the Artrike firm, Peter, for those of us who maybe have not crossed paths with your, your company. Um, tell us what you do for agents. Well, it all started on a dark and stormy night. Um, how I got in, involved in insurance in the first place, um, where... I was a journalist working for a daily newspaper up in New Jersey where I grew up. And uh, it, it was a long story short, I just couldn't hack it anymore. It was, it's tough being a journalist, especially for the newspaper. So I answered an ad um, in the Newark Star-Ledger for a job at AM Best Company um, at Best Review Magazine, an editorial role. And so that led me down the path of, of journalism in insurance and then ultimately with the Insurance Information Institute and the uh, and National Underwriter and then the Independent Insurance of America, the big I. So different association roles in PR. 
And back in 99, now 22 years ago, we started Artrike, which is a family company. There's 22 of us. Our job is to work inside the independent agent and broker channel, mostly inside. We do some customer work, consumer work on behalf of companies and agents, but primarily our work is for um, people inside the industry, like a B2B world. But um, our passion here is to work on strategy, to start with strategy, because I, early on when we first started, I was doing a lot of things um, that I felt kind of like we we're putting lipstick on a pig, like there really wasn't <laughs> a good story here. And how I'm making collateral, we're making brochures, we're writing things on, for clients, but there wasn't a story. There wasn't anything unique. There was there was no, no sense of what the product was or what who the market for it was. And so I started asking more questions uh, that were more strategic in nature. And we've gotten to the point now where we've made it really simple but you've got to start with the strategy. You've got to start before you get into anything else in marketing uh, or you know, expressing your brand. You have to start with the brand story. And that's what we like to do. Well, I'm starting to connect some dots here because with your background in journalism, as you started mentioning those words like, where's the story here? There's no story here and asking the right questions. It sounds like your background in journalism really set the right path for you to be able to bring the storytelling element into the branding strategy for the agencies that you work with? You know, I, I, it's funny um, how, how words have evolved. I mean, you know, executive briefs used to be 5,000 words. Now they're 1,500. You know, we used to have on television a soundbite of 90 seconds. If you can imagine, we'd coach people to have a great 90-second soundbite. Now it's like five seconds or seven seconds. So our attention spans have gotten smaller or shorter. But I will say that um, Google and um, the whole search engine phenomenon uh, does value um, well-written sentences and paragraphs and bullets and fact, FAQs and things like that. So uh, the insurance trade media still values articles that, that have a point of view that, that talk about trends and, and talk about things that people care about. And so we still, we still find ourselves doing a lot of writing, Caitlin. And I think it's, it's a bit of a lost art, to be honest. I mean, it's not like I want to sound like an old fart just trying to hang on to the written word. But, you know, a lot of content, when you look at it, uh, let's say an infographic, um, there, there are words that are attached to those, those icons, those photos that are in an infographic. When you have a video, you're still expressing um, uh, some, some, some words that maybe there's a script, maybe it's lightly scripted, but you still have to write. So, most of us are former journalists here, and I think it adds a lot of value to our clients. Well, it's, it's an interesting nuance because even though we have those shorter sound bites to work with, it could be shorter copy or something that has to fit into an infographic. I think sometimes making the message concise and yet still powerful is harder than writing a really long mm -hmm. report. And there's a famous quote out there that I can't remember off the top of my head, but it says something along the lines of, I would have sent a shorter email, but I didn't have the time. <laughs> yeah. I think it was, it might've been Mark Twain. who was said, I'm sorry for the long letter. I didn't have a, a, time to write a short one. <laughs> um, that is why um, it takes a lot longer to write a three or four or five uh, word tagline for a new product than it does to write a thousand word article. It's really hard to, to be concise if you want to, have those words mean something. And we believe that words have consequences and you can't leave it to chance. So even in a small agency, um, you know, 11 people is the average, I think. Um, you've got to have 
a, a really good story that everybody buys into enthusiastically and shares. Um, because if you don't leave it to chance, people are going to freelance and make up their own their own stuff. And as the company gets bigger and bigger, you start to see the wheels coming off from a culture standpoint and from ultimately the customer, you know, what you say to customer standpoint. So to catch our audience up on your current projects, Peter, in addition to the branding work that you do at the R-Trike firm, um, can you tell us a little bit about your podcast? And um, I'd love to chat a little bit about your book as well. Yeah, I, um, I've had a podcast called On Point on Insurance Journal. Thanks for asking. Uh, InsuranceJournal.tv for about 10 years now. I talk with people around the industry who uh, are, are good at just chatting about technology, brand, um, what's going on with, uh, with customer care, customer communications, and uh, talk to a lot of insure techs. It's, it's sort of um, a, a, a blend of people. I try to find people from all different parts of the industry. Today, I just recorded with a really interesting lady who works at Score Re. If, if you, this is a life reinsurance company. Like no one in the PNC world has ever heard of Score Re or has ever heard of Stephanie Dunn, my guest. But she is. She was so articulate around diversity, equity, and inclusion, and tells a really, really personal story um, about her life, but also what she's bringing to the company, which is a huge global company. And so the diversity angle, I've started um, about once a quarter. I talk to people about that. So it's just things that are on my mind, things I'm curious about, things I'm learning from. And I, I try to make it about the audience. I try to make it about the guests. It's not about me. I'm just a facilitator. Uh, take the ego out of it. And um, I, I just, I just like I said earlier, I just love the insurance peeps. I love chatting with them. And um, and I love your podcast too. Now the book, I got to plug the book, Caitlin. Here we go. The Powers. It's been out Powers. a couple of years. Um, this is a, uh, a very easy to read guidebook. We made it that way. My this partner, Tony Westling and I um, wrote this book. Um, it's for any size business. It allows you to uh, not only understand the why of why you need a brand strategy, but how to do it, how to get it done without hiring a bunch of expensive consultants or kind of making it up all, all on your own. There's a blend that you need to make it happen. And we can talk more about that later. But um, it's designed to be like a real working uh, you know, guide, guide, uh, guideline for you, 10, 10 factors for building an exponentially more powerful brand. And it's all this stuff that seems so sort of consequential or fuzzy or mystical or myth, you know, mythical. Um, when in fact, even for a small agency, it's the most important asset that you have is your brand and culture strategy. And you've got to get that story straight before you talk to anybody, uh, before you hire anybody new, before you talk with pro prospects, before you roll out a new product line, before you do a new website, you've got to go through this process. And so, um, we're really proud of the book and, um, you know, I hope people will find it useful. We've gotten good uh, feedback on it. And I think it's so important for independent agency owners to be working towards having a really strong brand story and brand positioning and that strategy. Because um, in the captive world, you can use the captive company's branding as a um, the, the first thing that your clients think of when they think of your agency. You might even answer the phone using the name of the captive company. But when you um, transition into the independent world, one of the first steps is who do you want your agency to be? Your agency will have its own identity in the independent world. And so for our 
agents in the audience who are listening who are in the process of making that leap from the captain world to the independent world, this is something that you can be thinking about right now. And I think that one of the things that I, when I was, when I had a agency in the captive world, I had this um, assumption because I didn't know a lot of people in the independent world. It just wasn't part of my circle or my bubble at the time. And I thought that independent agencies were very focused on price because they sold different brands. And I, one of the reasons I wasn't interested in moving independent was because I wanted to make sure my clients had the best coverage and that we were protecting their assets and having coverage conversations. And I think that's for our, um, if you're thinking about going captain to independent, that's something you can be thinking about now is how can you use the value conversations that serve you well in the captive world to build your independent agency brand and to differentiate you if that isn't the angle that you're going to take with your agency when it comes to the role that price is going to play in your conversation with clients. Yeah. And I, I, I think I, I, somebody once told me that price is what it costs and value is what it's worth. And I, I, if I were going to start an independent agency, I, I would be thinking about um, deeper relationships with maybe fewer customers, um, get, get the conversation, you know, trying to be a real significance to potentially fewer people, but ultimately you still have the same revenue because clearly you're going to be selling them more. They're not going to be leaving you as often. Um, and so the, the thing with this brand thing is it's really not a tactic. It's really not a nice to have. It's an absolute must have. And as you would buy an independent agency management system, an AMS, whether it's Vertifor applied or whatever you want. Um, and as you would invest in office space, whether you own or lease, as you would invest in employees, which is a big chunk of obviously of, of cost for an agency, um, you should be investing in brand because it's a strategy, it's long-term, it's an investment. It's not a, it's not a marketing tactic, you know, and that's why I think a lot of agencies um, struggle with this because they're thinking, that it's just another thing, a little project I can try for a while. Like we, you know, we tried a postcard campaign, we tried an email campaign and it didn't work. And you start to peel back the onion of why it didn't work. And you're like, well, that there was no, there was no real story. There was no staying power. There was no investment. And, and there was no, there was no uh, strategic big idea behind it, which every single uh, agency needs. They need that, that big story. Do you see uh, branding strategies getting, pushed under the rug in agencies just because it takes that time investment and because it's a long-term play? Well, I, I don't think it's super expensive and I don't think um, uh, it does have to be a long-term play, but the initial work um, may seem hard at first, but it's so well worth doing. What I see, Caitlin, are three chunks of agencies, three, okay. three uh, categories. The top 20% really understand the value of brand being the most important asset you have. Um, they've gone through the process of identifying mission, vision, core values, um, their, their origin story, where they came from, why they care about a better world for their customers. All these things are so critical. 20% um, of, of the uh, 30 or 40,000 independent agencies out there, I, I estimate there's a big middle chunk of agencies, and I don't think it's the, another third. It might be, you know, another forty percent or something. Who, who know they they want to work on this, just can't for whatever reason get their arms around doing it. They might be, uh, uh, frankly, trying to deal with a producer who should leave, or an agency owner who's aging who should leave, or 
or they're struggling with decisions over how to grow or they lost a big market, whatever it is, they're struggling, but they know they know they need to do it. They don't need to be told um, the why. It's just like, how do we get started? And then there's the, the frankly, the, the bottom group um, that really are just riding this out. They might be harvesting uh, the, the, the revenue out of their firms. They're just coasting. Um, they, they, um, it, it, this is not for them. I mean, and, and it's, a, hey, listen, you know, the beauty of being an independent agent is that you are working in the best country on the planet. You can do whatever you want. You can, it's your firm. That's the beauty of business ownership. And I'm not here to, to, to lecture. I'm just saying that the people who understand this are growing faster. They're more profitable. They keep their employees. They keep their customers. They're able to expand into new lines. They're able to expand into new geographies because they have that power, just like Starbucks or Nike have, of being able to segue into new things. Um, so it, it's it's really a, a strategy and it's an investment, but it pays off if you look at the firms who are doing better than the average uh, average bear. What are the first steps that an insurance agency owner should take when they're establishing a brand? They're opening up their doors and they know that they need to make this a priority, what first steps should they take? Hey, loyal listeners, when you hear me say CAS certified, that means that we use them in our agency. Are you a local insurance agent looking to take your business to the next level? Write more business and see your agency succeed with NBS, aka Nationwide Brokerage Solutions. But like in today's world, we use these initials like it's cool because it is. And it's hip. At Nationwide Brokerage Solutions, they offer the challenges local agents face in the constantly changing market. That's why they offer a wide array of personal and commercial markets and policy options to help you meet the needs of your customers, no matter how unique they may be. With a team of experienced and dedicated professionals that provide you with the support and the guidance you need to see your agency succeed. Nationwide Brokerage Solutions is here to support you every step of the way. Don't you survive in the competitive insurance industry? Thrive with Nationwide Brokerage Solutions today. Get started today and learn more at mbsbrokerage.com. That's where you learn more, mbsbrokerage.com. Cash certified. I think the number one... uh... Uh, thing to do is to gather up your key stakeholders. If you're a small firm, um, 11 or less, say, for example, it's probably everybody. Everybody's a key stakeholder. As the firms grow, uh, when you get into dozens of employees, and, and again, the same rule would apply to whether you're, you're a broker, uh, insurance carrier, program administrator, MGA, whoever you are, um, th- these same rules apply. You gather up between typically between eight and 15 key stakeholders this, these are going to be the owners. These are going to be, um, you know, business uh, people in charge of customer service, for example. These key stakeholders have a lot to say about where the firm has been um, and where it's going. Um, what we do is uh, they take a, a confidential questionnaire to, to bring out um, their comments about what they should stop doing, what they should start doing, and what they should keep doing at all costs. And uh, you start to develop consensus around um, around the brand and the culture. And if you think about brand, as we think about it, it's in the book, Caitlin, it's like brand and culture are the same thing. It's like an infinity symbol. If you can draw that in your, in your head, or I'm doing it now, I guess, but 
on one side is brand, one side is culture, but it's, an, it's a continuum. In the middle where that X is, is core values. And core values is really what should drive five to seven action items, uh, should drive employees and ultimately be shared with, with customers. And we know our favorite brands, you know, they're, they're living their core values. Um, you know, one of them for an agency could be challenging the status quo. Um, we're going to do things different around here. Um, uh, we're going to be respectful to each other. Whatever those core values are, that is the only HR manual that you really need to run your, your agency. You don't need a big, thick manual of what to wear, when to come in, et cetera. Let, the, let those core values drive. So the key stakeholders develop this, this language around mission, vision, values, um, et cetera. Um, and also you can talk with your customers. Um, what do they see you should be keeping at all costs? stopping, stop doing, um, and, and what, what uh, better experience could, could you have that they, they, they would like you to have that would truly delight them. You also want to look at your competition. Um, it doesn't mean you obsess about them. It doesn't mean you uh, try to emulate them. It means that here are three competitors, even if they're weak competitors or kind of competitors, um, what are they doing? What is, what is on their website? What is their personality on their website? What are they conveying to the marketplace? We don't want to be like them. We want to have our own uh, uh, brand messaging. This is about us being in control of our destinies. And if you don't go through these steps of defining who you are, then other people like competitors will do it for you. And that's that's not a good place to be. And it's happening every day um, around, this, uh, around this industry where people are letting others define them. And it hurts you from a market share standpoint and a growth standpoint. So those are the building blocks. Um, I think um, having, you know, this is a kind of a fun workshop experience that we talk about in the book. This is not a heavy lift. This is not very expensive. It's not hiring consultants to tell you where you should go. It's hiring consultant consultants to help you, to help facilitate the words that are already inside of you, um, the, the, the aspirations and hopes and dreams you have for your company, for your agency, and where you want to go with it. That's, it's about the future. And um it's really, really exciting, and, and ultimately will save you time down the road to fix things that aren't quite right. And you see this all over the place, Caitlin, with, with bad websites and bad signage. And it, it, these, these tangible expressions of a poor strategy emerge, um, whether you like it or not, over time, if you're not careful. And agents, those words that he just said, the, the words are already inside of you. The story's already there. We're taking time to think through how we're going to articulate that as a team. And when you get together as a group, you'll be able to combine your ideas and ideas feed off of mm -hmm. each other and they grow. So I love your idea, Peter, to, to survey the key stakeholders and think about what are we going to start doing? What are we going to stop doing? What are we going to keep doing at all costs? Thinking through what will truly delight our clients and being aware of what our competition is doing so that it's on our radar and we can think, how can we do this differently? How can we do this better so that we are cutting edge in everything that we do? And um, I think that it's a, it's a pretty high stakes situation, like you said, especially with so much competition in the market. So what are mm -hmm. some symptoms of poor branding strategies that you've seen? Well, the, the one that comes to mind um, immediately when you ask that question, I get asked that one a lot, is a sign I saw on an agency, independent agency in a beautiful old bank building in downtown Denver. I do not know if this agency is there anymore, but um, 
it's just imagine what you know you've seen those big uh those big oversized wood doors you know that that have the glass in them and like you know maybe tempered glass or stained glass and it's just it, it, almost like walking into a giant church <laughs> and um in the window is a sign that says push in all capital letters push door sticks um and it's underlined you know um you know, exclamation marks underline, you know, push. And, and so the door sticks, right? This is a, this is the first thing people see when they visit the agency um, back when we actually, you know, visited people. But um, I think of the sign because I think of who wrote the sign, who wrote that sign is um, probably the receptionist or somebody close to the door who has to get up and uh, pull the door open because the door sticks. And I say to myself, how can we freelance like this? How can we have a culture in which someone has to get up and make the sign and open the door for people? Just fix the door, right? Simple sample, a simple example, but I'm telling you, you see it manifested all over the place. You see it on websites that look like something from the 1990s. I, I will tell you, Caitlin, one of the biggest issues we have as a, as a distribution channel is how we look online. Um, we people are not going going to beautiful old bank buildings anymore. They're doing a lot of things online, and agents tell me all the time, "Well, this is a relationship business. You know, we don't need marketing. This is a relationship business." And I, I that is true. But how do you get to the point where you even build a relationship? That is called marketing. And if if you get referrals, which is a great source of new business for agents, of course, um, what are the first thing people going to do? They're going to, they're, they're not, you know, the people who refer you to are not going to have your phone number. They're going to have maybe your uh, website address, or maybe they'll just say Google Smith and Jones, you know? So they go to your website. How many people do you know? How many people are going to your website and just like, they're just turned off. There's nothing there really interesting to them. It's not engaging. It's a bunch of jargon. It's a bunch of photos of stock art photos. It's brochureware. It's, it's uh, acronyms like CGL and BOP and things like that. And just, it just turns people off. Our, we've, we know this is a human business. We've got to make our websites and our social media much more about the human side because people buy from people. And um, so I think that's, those, are, those are a couple of examples. Um, I think dated materials, um, uh, dated logos is another manifestation of it. Um, agents hang on to their visual identities way too long. Visual identity being your name, your logo, your tagline, because they, yeah, it kind of works, you know, but you show it to somebody objectively, they're like, this looks like something from the 1980s, you know, with Times New Roman fonts. And, and you know, the best brands, you see this happening all the time. They will make even subtle uh, tweaks to their logos, Um that you don't really even notice unless you start looking at all of the old ones, like Starbucks is a great example or Southwest that every five or 10 years, they are tweaking things to keep up, but they're so subtle that you don't necessarily notice, but it's still notice noticeable when you lay them all down next to each other. So every five to 10 years, you've got to take a look at your visual identity. That's probably another key one that I see. Yes. And to, to a business owner who would say that, oh, you know, I, I'm, I'm investing in relationships, so I don't need to invest in marketing. I would just add to that, that 
sometimes it's easier to be able to identify what's working than to be able to see what's not working because a client who came to your website and looked and left, that's a silent detractor. And so you, Mm -hmm. there's an opportunity cost to everything that we do, everything that we do, we're going to have some wins, we're going to have some losses. And I think just being aware of the potential, the stronger our brand is and having a fresh pair of eyes on it, who can look at it from the outside in and consult with us about whether or not it's going to cause us losses or more wins is really valuable. Yeah. It's um, one of those areas of work, Caitlin. I mean, we all have to struggle with enough time in the day, but think of the four quadrants of work, uh, important, non-important, urgent, non-urgent. This is one of those areas that doesn't seem very urgent. We tend to work on the urgent categories, whether they're important or not, Um, but it's, it's super important. And um, it, it, it's so worth the time to sit down and really think about where you want to go in the future and, and not to just mail it in. I mean, uh, an, an agent showed me his business card one time and, and he says, what do you think about our new logo? And, and I'm looking at it. it. It looked like a chain link fence. It just looked so weird. <laughs> and then he goes, my wife designed it. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about a loaded question, right? Right. Um, it, it, um, you, you've got to, here's the other thing too, Kaylin. Um, there, there, this world of marketing is shifting very few agencies can afford or think they can afford to have even a part-time marketing professional. I'm not talking about the front desk. I'm not talking about a CSR who, who does, you know, mails postcards every Friday afternoon. That, that's, not, that's not a marketing professional, like a real marketing professional or that have hired a marketing consultancy to walk them through what's required. Again, because they're thinking expense. They're thinking, oh, you know, we just need some new brochures for this conference we're going to, you know, with, with contractors or something. They're thinking collateral. They're thinking, they're thinking brochures. Mm-hmm. They're thinking brochures. They're thinking flyers. PDFs, flyers, brochures, Emails. golf balls, printed. You know, where I say, where is your digital marketing strategy? Where is your brand strategy? What does your online office look like, your website? These are things you've got to tackle and you can't just kind of mail it in. You can't. So I, along those lines of that, you know, that moment where someone shows you a, a logo and, and it's just not on, <laughs> not on the right track. I'm curious to know what fixer upper stories you have. So what's your biggest rescue story of helping an agent get from <laughs> the, <laughs> the chain link fence logo to a, a better place? Ooh. That's a, t- that's a tough one. Um, I, how about we talk about general stories as opposed to specific firms? Cause I don't want to, uh, I, I get the question. I totally get storytelling. There's nothing like it. Um, but, uh, I, I do have, um, an example of a carrier we worked with. If I could, um, if I could find this, uh, um, uh, slide, um, so here, okay. So here is a regional PNC company. Um, and I'm going to find some more examples for independent agents, but you'll, you'll, again, it's the same process. So here is the, um, uh, the, uh, core values. This is the core values on the website was on the website for this regional PNC carrier, a quote, not a list of five to seven things, a quote, we see our associates our independent agents and our other business partners focused by one set of core aligned values. So that is their core value is that we're aligned. Uh, 
we're aligned on our values. And I'm looking at that saying so the core that, value is that we're aligned on our values. Yeah. So it wasn't very specific. We're all, we're all aligned on our, on our, on our one set of aligned values. We're all, we're all together. We're all singing Kubaya. And I say, well, what are they? You know, what, what, what are, tell us more about the values. So we worked with them and now they have a set of five. Again, these are action statements, core values besides vision and brand essence. We haven't talked about essence, but those are the three most important categories. And I always go to the, go there first and see what we need to fix or what we need to create. So now this carrier has five, uh, commit to a culture of education. So we're not saying, you know, CPCU, we're not saying CIC, it could be time management training. It could be anything. So commit to a culture of education. This is how people are going to behave inside the company. We're going to be, we're going to be people who are constantly curious to learn, right? Great core value. The second one is make it right. It doesn't say the customer is always right, which is a horrible core value you see a lot of. And it's not even true, <laughs> but make it right. And that could be with an associate, it could be with a customer, it could be anything. Um, encourage and embrace innovation. Um, so how that happens is left up to the particular employee or department. Uh, number four, deliver your best, own your role. Um, again, uh, this allows people to say, you know, have I done my best? You know, when you go in for your for your review, it's like, you know, I, I, I really didn't own my role. I didn't deliver my best. Um, why is that? Maybe it's the wrong fit for me here, whatever. Um, and then finally, invest in partnerships together. We're stronger. So that speaks to the independent agent. That speaks to um, the customers. So again, uh, actionable statements. You typically see um, a lot of agents with uh, no or weak core values. And if you're trying to attract talent, Caitlin, I think the independent agent channel is a wonderful place for people to work. It's flexible. They care about their communities, which is important to young workers for sure. And it's a stable industry. I mean, these three things together, it's a very strong employment brand. But if we don't have our core values written down and on our websites about what it's like to work here, we're not going to attract the best talent. So that's... Um, uh, we, we do a lot of work around improving um, uh, logos. I, I know that's, that's the, for me, the fun part of all of this. Um, logos are, are, the, are the cool part. It's the tangible part. Uh, but I cannot tell you how bad the logo situation is out there for the independent agents. It is oh, really bad. Absolutely. And, and I and would say too, like losing the words insurance and agency and ink and LLC and thinking bigger about, about the name of your firm so that it's not just tied to local independent insurance agency, Inc., LLC. There's all these words don't mean anything. What is the one name or two words, one word or two words you can run with that are really powerful? And, and when you go through a merger like uh, Insurica did out in the West, um, Midwest with 17 agencies, they just changed all these names from Smith, Jones, Wesson, et cetera, et cetera, to just Insurica, which is a great name. But those core values that you shared are so inspiring. And isn't that the goal of uh, those core value statements to get the entire team excited about who we are as a company and what we're here to do every day. And I love how you guys took it from something that was very generic where they were trying to describe how agents and clients and the team all interacted together. And you came out with five core values that applied to all of those audiences. Yeah. I, core values are, are, 
are really cool and they have to be authentic to you. So, so some of those I listed of those five may not work for your agency, um, but you can't expect customers to love your company until um, your associates, the employees love it first. And they love it because those core values are aligned with what, what, what they want to do. It, it, it screens new employees, but it also allows people who work there to say, this is, this is the kind of place I want to be. And even if you're not um, uh, relentlessly innovative or, or something like that yet, you, you can be down the road. Um, so it's, it's aspirational too. Um, I, I, there's, a, there's an MGA in New York City called Thimble, and uh, it's an InsurTech. They, if you read this list of core values, which I have on the screen here, it's like astonishing how New York it is. Like they have every moment counts, uh, own every detail, green light means go, simplify, get to the point, make it crystal clear. Like it's like New York minute, right? This may not work for a Midwest independent insurance agency. That's fine. But this is authentic to Thimble. So you've got to give some thought to what, how employees are going to treat each other and their customers. The core values absolutely should be on your website um, to attract employees and to attract customers. Oh, absolutely. And you mentioned some of the reasons that the independent insurance channel is such a wonderful place for someone to build a career and put down roots where they can thrive for a long time. But I feel that sometimes insurance itself has a branding problem. So we don't see kids dressing up like insurance agent superstars for Halloween or going off to high school, like graduating high school and going off to college, dreaming of owning their own insurance agency one day. So just to wrap up our conversation today, Peter, what is something we can all do to help turn around the branding image for the insurance industry as a whole? That's a great question, Caitlin. I, I feel like this industry is a rocket ship of opportunity for, for young people and, and all kinds of people. Um, I think we know it's a cool industry. What's going on in technology is, is big uh, and not, not just insure tech, but what's, what's happening with um, carriers and agents uh, in, in evolving their technology. Um, I think we need to tell stories. I think we need to ha- talk about how we help people and and the the job opportunities in, in, in the insurance industry. We got to stop using jargon. We got to start telling human stories. We know this is not a distant, faceless, and personal industry that's just concerned about numbers and profits. And that's what comes across a lot of times when you ask young people about insurance industry. Ooh, you know, they'll say, I don't want to sell life insurance. You know, I don't want to work at this, this insurance company. It sounds boring. There are so many cool jobs. And I think on the front lines of this, um, the work that independent agents are doing right now um, to serve people and to, um, to help people is hugely important. And I, I just think we got to tell more stories and, and, and stop apologizing for working the insurance. I hate when people say, yeah, yeah, I'm just an insurance agent. It's like, no, 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 you, you should be proud of this industry. It is an absolute rocket ship. There's so much opportunity in this world and so much good that we can do. So Peter, thank you for reminding us to start with the brand story. People buy from people, tell human stories. That's something we can all do. Mm -hmm. And Peter, how can our listeners reach out to you to talk more about their agency brand strategy? Um, I'd love to chat with anybody anytime about anything. Um, it's uh, Peter at artrike.com, Peter at A-A-R-T-R-I-J-K.com. And my cell is 703-868-0144. I also call that my, my shoe phone because I'm a big James um, 
a Get Smart fan. I was going to say James Bond, but Get Smart had a shoe phone, which was really cool back in the 60s. <laughs> and um, at PVR Trike uh, on Twitter and uh, uh, our website is rtrike.com. So honestly, anybody who needs uh, just to run stuff by me, I'm, I'm always happy to chat with your listeners. Caitlin, thanks for having me on the show. It's been a great conversation, Peter. Thanks for coming on the show. And agents, we hope you enjoyed everything that Peter shared about how to think about the story that we have to tell as a team and getting that in front of our clients. And I'm looking forward to chatting with you next time. Thanks everyone for tuning in.